Com and the Dealer Family of Podcasts. This is the Super Flex Super Show. I'm John Hogue at Superflex Dude on Twitter. Uh, the rest of the guys are taking the night off for various reasons. We, uh, for one thing, we just had a great episode come out starring our own James the Brain and uh, Sake Brian Harkley, uh, Mister M- the 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 leader of the the president of the Saquon Barkley fan club. Uh, they had the uh, the guys from the Devi Marketplace on the on the podcast, and they talked about all kinds of all the rookies uh, that you need to know for your Superflex rookie drafts. So make sure and check that out. That would have come out just yesterday. So uh, make sure and check that one out and uh, stay caught up. But in the meantime, um, I'm going to fly, not totally solo, actually. I've got an awesome guest here. Uh, the uh, I've got uh, the, uh, he's a contributor to Under the Helmet. Uh, he's also got his own podcast now. We're going to have to talk about that. But here's the big thing. Two-time, two-time published author, Jordan McNamara, author of the Analytics of Dynasty, both the 2019 and now the 2020 edition. It just came out. Jordan, we uh, first uh, first thing we got to ask about the new book, how, how do people find it? How do they get their hands on it? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Um, the uh, You can get the book. It's at analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop. Um, I have both books up there, actually, and I'm sure we'll talk about them oh, oh, both a little bit. The, the um, Analytics of Dynasty 2020 edition is the one with the Superflex analysis, and I, I think you read a portion of it, at least a portion of it today. Mm-hmm. Um and it's got uh, it's got super a lot of super flex strategy. When I, you know when I wrote the first one, there wasn't a ton of historical super flex data. Um, now I've gotten some. It's not great in terms of its longevity, but I think it's enough to draw some conclusions for and build some strategies. Consider you know thinking that that that's a general framework to look at. You know just the pacing of quarterbacks, the different rounds that quarterbacks go in, sort of what those implications are. So there's a lot of different things with that. Just some of the historical ADP, and as more years go by, I think it'll smooth out. You'll get we'll get a better understanding of the marketplace. But um, you know that's all stuff that I didn't have last year. I had this year, and I was like, I'm gonna do. I'll just do another one. Uh, I'll just I'll just write more, uh, and so yeah, it, cre- it was the Analytics of Dynasty 2020 edition. So a lot of superflex, about a quarter of the book is superflex. Um, I looked a lot at quarterbacks too throughout the other chapters in my book. You know, I got chapters on historical hit rates and I call base rates, which is just looking at sort of how players progress throughout their career uh, if they haven't hit yet, and sort of you know if we know a quarterback, for example, has missed for two years. You know, what's that mean for his future likelihood? Um, and there's some really interesting things in there that I think are counterintuitive in terms of how players progress in, in their career and how they they sort of go on the arc of either failing or succeeding as dynasty as dynasty players. Um, and so that's that's uh, in there. And then sort of I have a density chapter, which looks at players once they hit sort of how they hit. Right. So you sort of look at the progression up to hitting and then once they hit and produce a top 12 season, how do they sort of go from there? Uh, Which is it's a really interesting when you sort of compare the two to look at career trajectories. It gives you a a fuller idea and especially looking at players as like as I a big thing that I talk about and like to think about players is as profiles. So what what you know, take away the 
take away the name for a second, just what type of profile does this player reflect? You know, what's his resume? And then think about that just from a generic sense and then say, okay, well, now what does that now attach the name to it and the team that he plays for and the offense he plays in and those sorts of things. And then you can sort of figure out from there whether you like the player more than you would like the the general rate or whether you'd like them less and it gives you an idea to move from there so all that stuff is quarterbacks it's all four positions in terms of all that stuff so there's a lot of stuff on that and roster construction throughout the book some different ideas in terms of uh, the value of picks and the some different roster constructions in terms of you know making making better decisions and making better uh having a better strategic process to building your dynasty teams that can make you more profitable year over year. So yeah, you can find it all at analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop. The 2020 edition is on sale now for $30. It's an instant download. It comes as a PDF. You get a link to a Dropbox account that takes you right in. You download it and then you have it whenever you want. So you can have it on your phone. You can have it on your computer, What you know, your iPad, whatever. Um, then when trades come up or you're sort of thinking about players or saying, you know, what about what should I think about this type of situation? The data is right there for you. So um, in the 2019 edition, it's on sale. I put it on sale for $20 now. So if you, if you're sort of newer to dynasty or you want some, some broader, some of the more broader topics, I think 2020 is more topical. It's focused on some specific things. 2019 is like a, basically a entire overview of dynasty from basically beginning to end and sort of how to play it. And with a lot of different, um, I think anyone can find value in it. You know, I've had people that were brand new to Dynasty pick it up, use it, and have value in it. And I've had people that have played for two decades find value in it. So that's how it's still topical. Both books are, um, they're sort of evergreen type concepts. They're not just 2020, you know, pick these players type of analysis. It's more strategic. So um, all the stuff from 2019 still applies going forward. So um, you can find them both at analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop and, um, and go ahead and get some reading while the, you know, while the season's dying down here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously this, you know, super flex, super show, it's, it's obviously a super flex, um, focused podcast, but I mean, our, our ultimate goal, you know, we, we wanted to get in on Superflex because it's such a growing format and, uh, the 2020 edition of the book, um, does have some, some Superflex focused stuff, but, um, you know, our, our ultimate goal here all along has just been to kind of create some, you know, and it, to develop and, uh, kind of, kind of cultivate some, some processes that work for people, um, you know, obviously, particularly in Superflex, but I mean, the principles that are in both the 2019 and the 2020 edition, these are things that you can use universally. It, it These aren't focused on any one format, you know, just because, it, you know, it's it's implicitly one quarterback doesn't mean that, you know, it it's not stuff that you can still use in your Superflex league. So, um, so I would obviously encourage uh purchasing the 2020 edition and and uh you know for that super flex section but i still i to me you can you know i like you said it's a the 2019 edition was uh it was kind of you know the the fundamentals the foundation of uh of dynasty team uh, roster management and, and construction and uh i i encourage people to go back and read that one as well, because I think it's incredibly helpful. Um, and, uh, and kind of gives you the tools, um, to, to, you know, to start 
managing that roster uh, in a, you know, in a, in a meaningful, pragmatic way. Um, and, uh, you know, regardless of the format. So it's still going to be super useful to you. I guarantee it. Um, so uh, not to name drop or anything here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I was uh, uh, in, in Canton, Ohio at the Midwest uh, Fantasy Football Expo. I, I got a chance to meet up with Ryan McDowell in person and, and, um, we, you know, we talked a lot about Superflex. One of the questions that he had for me uh, that I had no freaking idea is, uh, you know, how old is the Superflex format? Mm -hmm. uh, you've got data going back to 2014, which I'll be honest, that's a little older than I thought it would be. Um, I, it was, it, it was, it was definitely, it makes Superflex older than, uh, than what I had guessed. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, so I, I think that you actually have about as complete a data as there is. And again, like you said, it's it's still, you know, it's still fairly new. Um, we, you know, we're still kind of gathering info, but it, it seems to me like you were able to um, to use, you know, the the limited data and put together some some pretty strong arguments um, you know, for, for some different processes. Uh, did you have any preconceived notions about Superflex data that were proved either correct in your research or proved incorrect? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I, so I sort of came at, and I'm, I'm trying to think now, I think I've played, I played actually a two quarterback league before I played Superflex. Um, so, and I think I did that two or three years ago. So I'm, and I, I didn't, I think I, so I probably had maybe one or two Superflex drafts prior to this past summer. And then I drafted, I think four or five of them last summer. So I was relatively, as I was writing in to take you behind the curtain, I write the book from, you know, usually the summer through you know, the fall of before it comes out. So I spent, you know, from like May through August writing a good chunk of the Analytics Dynasty 2020 edition. Um, and then, you know, when the season comes, I don't have quite as much time. But during that process, I was doing research and sort of thinking about these things more and more. Um, and I had, I came to it with the idea that, well, you, sh you need to go quarterback early um, and that you need to go, you need to be, you need to get quarterbacks settled early and you need to be really, really deep at quarterback. You know, I think you need four starters. I sort of came to that conclusion just intuitively um, as the, as sort of, I did more research and as I sort of thought about the marketplace a little bit more as the summer wore on and I did a couple more drafts, I sort of came and moved uh, off of that a little bit um, and said, oh, I, you know, let's see if I can wait. Let's see how much I can wait on quarterback. You know, I just play, kept playing chicken with it, with it. And actually that coincided with, um, uh, as I did that a couple of times, I was writing the book at the same time. And when I got the research done, I was like, I'm actually, I think I'm optimized doing that. And so I, you know, I sort of came to it and I don't know if 2019, it was just reflective. The marketplace was just reflective of, of that being right. Um, but the data backed up sort of what I, what the natural decision I ended up coming to. 
Uh, okay. I, I got to be honest, that hurts me, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> because I mean, so people are, are well aware at this point, our listeners are well aware that, um, that my method is, is quarterback early and often, and, yeah. and there are kind of several reasons for it. Um, and, and uh, I'll, I'm going to have to ask you about this actually, mm-hmm. because even, you know, reading this super flex section of the book, I, I still, I mean, for me, it kind of reinforced the takeaway. There's certainly the possibility. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. There's a possibility here, small possibility of, <laughs> of maybe some confirmation bias going on. Um, and me just kind of reading what I wanted, what I thought I wanted to, to read. <laughs> uh, I've never heard that happen before. That has never happened before. <laughs> yeah, that never happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, because my approach has always been, um, and, and, you know, it's kind of, I've, I've gotten more militant about this, um, as time goes on, uh, the more I see this kind of play out over the course of several years. But for me, yeah, you, you start with quarterback, uh, partly because it is such a, such a valuable position when you can start two of them, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the advantage that you could create with a, you know, a, a Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson combination, like that's a, that's a co- a combination of quarterbacks that you could have put together uh, in a, a 2019 startup draft. And that the advantage that you'd have with that is just um, it, it, it's, it feels insurmountable. Um, there's also, you know, the, there's also the opportunity cost, um, of, uh, you know, you take a quarterback in the first round, then you don't have to fight for the quarterbacks. Um, you know, when everybody starts jumping on them in which it looks like your research, it, it kind of starts to happen in like the fourth and, and, uh, fourth to sixth round is where everybody really starts pouncing on quarterback and, and, uh, you, you know, at that point, you've already got your quarterbacks. You don't have to kind of jockey for position anymore. Um, it, you know, and and above all else, there's just the the trade value aspect of of quarterbacks. The more of them you have, first of all, the easier it is to trade them. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, you know, it also gives you. Uh, just uh, kind of the ability to set the market as far as the price for those quarterbacks. So I, I guess those are, those are kind of the, that's, that's the culmination right there of the hashtag all the QBs uh, approach that I've, that I've kind of been championing championing. And uh, um, it sounds like your research though is kind of disproven that. <laughs> Is that uh, well? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that that's wrong. Um, okay. And I, I think a lot of. I think too. A lot of it is when you get down to the specifics, and it's it's always funny. Like you'll see these debates on Twitter, and you know people will be you know sort of not necessarily understanding the other person's really what they're saying. Um, yeah. So I. Uh, so that's why I like the the audio version of this is because you can sort of talk. You can sort of discuss it. I guess I would say it's it's a it's a it's a little bit of a of a twofold thing hmm. um i think you can find every year i think you can find quarterbacks that are undervalued um and you don't necessarily need to 
go early in a startup draft to get a, a good quarterback. So for instance, like this year, um, I think it's a, it's a pretty reasonable bet that, uh, you know, Jared Goff going in the teens is going to be a good value. Um, I think Kirk cousins is a quarterback that consistently returns more than his ADP. Uh, Matt Stafford, if he can stay healthy is similarly situated. And so you sort of look at those guys and sort of where they fall and the way my board, words um is um and i think i talk about this in in the book too and especially in superflex what i would typically do like if i was going to start just from scratch and say all right let's put together a plan on doing a superflex draft i would start around uh, probably this year i started in round 10 just to just to get an idea um historically it's probably around round eight but i've seen some just some anecdotal stuff saying the quarterbacks are slipping a little bit. Um, so I'd probably start around 10 and look at drafts or look at ADP, look at data and get an idea who's going there and then sort of work backwards from there. So work from round 10 or round eight or wherever I'm going to start and work back towards the beginning of the draft and identify the quarterbacks that I would like at the, at the cost that they're at and then put together, you know, a target list of guys. And for me, um, and I wrote about this in the book and I have some pretty, strict isn't maybe the greatest word for it, but it's probably the best word um, that I can come up with is, is criteria that that is who of the quarterbacks that I want to target. Um, and I, I want to not miss. And so I, I look at a pretty strict list of, of players and criteria and say, all right, here's going to be the guys that I have. And so let's identify people at identify quarterbacks at each specific cost point by round that that match that criteria and we'll, we'll work off that list and what i tend to find is some of the guys that are falling in drafts this year historically are going to be um are are the type of players that based on my research that i put in the book um, perform really well in superflex and perform really well as long-term starters so um that's how i would start it and then I would sort of look at the other positions too. look at receiver and running back and tight end. And I build from the back of the draft forward. And so, you know, mm. go out to like round 20 or whatever, 25, however, however deep your roster is and, and sort of look at the, look at the players that might be values there and say, all right, you know, I think, you know, historically from round, you know, six through round 20 of a start one draft running back has always been better bet than receiver. And so, if you sort of start with that and you say, all right, well, in Superflex, maybe we bump that back a couple of rounds. So we say around six or seven, something like that through round 20 is typically going to be if if two players are at the same cost, you want to take the running back over the receiver. Um, and so I sort of come from that general perspective. Once you get outside around 20, it's usually the receivers that are better bets, but they're the they tend to be the veteran receivers. Um, and then I look at the same for tight ends and I say, OK, well, tight ends, you know, I have a handful of different players. Here's where I can sort of target them. Um, and then that sort of leaves me with the receivers. And I say, all right, well, if I go early, I know. Like anytime I take a wide receiver over a running back, I'm going to take a loss on that. Like just historically, like typically a receiver over a running back is a negative EV investment. The only time it's not is when you do it early in a startup draft um, and say the first five or six rounds, I usually say the top 75 picks. Um, that's when you're actually going to preserve future value on a, on a, what on the pick where receivers actually maintain their value better than running backs. Uh, and you're going to get comparable production in terms of 
some of the stats that I look at, like top 24 finishes um, and and warp, which is my wins over replacement metric. Um, that's where wide receivers finish uh, as on par as you'll get with running backs. Anytime you do it after that, like after the top 75 picks of a startup draft, you, it, you're, you're losing every time you pick a receiver over a running back. So I sort of have those core beliefs. And then I say, all right, well, how can I mesh those things? And sometimes you'll find a receiver that'll fall. Like, for instance, you know, if you see a guy like Brandon Cooks fall to round 13, which I saw someone had happened to them, um, you know, that's a good historic value. Whereas, but typically those, those inefficiencies don't happen all that often. And you, you know, you get players around where, you know, ADP is, you know, when you sort of aggregate it, it's a pretty good predictor of, you know, the round of which a player goes is a pretty good predictor of their, of their likelihood to hit. And so you just sort of, I, I look at those, at all of those and say, you know, how can I get long-term starting quarterbacks while also maximizing the other positions? And I sort of need to get receiver and quarterback done, I would say, you know, in the first eight, maybe nine rounds of a draft. And, and then I can build some depth, but I need to get starters under, you know, under, under my control um, in that range. And so I sort of look at that and I think, you know, and each year is going to be different. And that's, kind of one of the, the best parts of the limited data that we have. I think each year is going to be different. If you're willing to sort of understand the general, sort of the general construct, you can maximize the efficiency each year as it changes going forward. I really like that. I mean, that's, it, it, it's also been, you know, part of, part of the strategy that I, that I try and uh, try and employ that, you know, when you're not taking quarterbacks early, well, okay. There, there, so there's kind of two different approaches. Um, you can you can go for for value, uh, and you know we, we all have some of those leagues that are going to be you know very active trading, um, and you just want as much trade value on that roster as you can. The way to do that is with the running backs. Um, but you know, uh, without the ability to just assume, you know, trade activity. Uh, the, the, you know, kind of the best way to, to build these rosters is, you know, is start with the foundation of, of quarterbacks and young wide receivers. Um, you know, you, you've kind of, this is what I love about this book. Like so many of the things, um, so many of the principles that I try and live by, but can't, can't quite verbalize. You've not only verbalized it, but done it very concisely. So, uh, I, I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you get these wide receivers and these quarterbacks for, you know, for kind of an extended period of time, they're usually there for you. They don't really, you know, they, they don't lose their jobs all that much. There's, they're not certainly not the injury risk that the running backs are. They just don't get hit as often. They don't get hit as hard. <laughs> it's just, it's a totally different job description for those positions. So um, you know, you, once you get them, you can, you know, you can kind of build around them and you can, you can, it, it, they can both be pretty efficient positions on the dynasty roster just because, you know, again, they're, they're probably not going to get replaced. I mean, I, I use Corey Davis as the example, you know, he, he hasn't been good. He certainly hasn't been what we thought he was going to be, but he's still on the field. Mm -hmm. Or if we were talking about a running back who, you know, who's, who's kind of under Rashad Penny is a, is a great example of this. I mean, 
he he hasn't been what we thought he was going to be. He also had a sixth round running back who just happened to be a better player ahead of him on the depth chart. But you know the 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 fact that he hasn't been performing as that first round NFL rookie um, that you know it it's keeping him off the field and thus keeping him from uh, producing fantasy points. Whereas Corey Davis, even though he hasn't been producing you know anywhere near uh the the draft capital that was spent on him he hasn't returned that value at all but he's still on the field which is the first major major step towards scoring fantasy points so for that reason you know wide receivers are fairly safe um they're 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 a good building block to kind of build around and and they're efficient because you don't have to have a ton of them uh because they're going to be on the field. They're, you know, they, they've got a path to fantasy points. So a, a long story short, I just, I, I really like this, uh, this approach to it. Um, I, I think my question for you um, would be in, in, I mean, maybe you've got parameters for this. Maybe you don't, but uh, as far as roster construction, how many quarterbacks uh, are you, are you trying to get? on your Superflex dynasty rosters and how militant are you going to be about um, making sure you've got a quarterback at the Superflex position? Um, so I'll take the, the back part first. Um, I am. I, I, so my research has indicated that, that if you are going to, Basically, you, you're better off starting a quarterback at your super flex um, than any other position, unless you're able to start a top 24 running back there. Excuse me. Let me. Sorry, a top 12 running back. So, um, if you have a running back that's like project, if, if your super flex decision is between like a back half starter and a guy that's projected in like the top 12 of running back scoring in a week, like that's typically the only time that you would go, you'd break a tie against a starting quarterback. Um, every other time you're typically going to go with your starting quarterback. So for me, I play, I, I understand that you can play someone else, not at your super flex spot, you know, play a non quarterback, but I typically go into it with the concept of, Hey, you know, that's only in an emergency type crisis situation that I want that to happen. So I, I go into it really wanting to have a, a starting option in my super flex, even if it's a guy that's a little bit further down the line in terms of, you know, I don't know, QB 18 through 25 to 30 range, someone like that. Uh, even typically that player is still a better bet in your super flex than whoever you're going to be putting there. So, um, yeah. And then I forgot the first part of your question. That's what happens when I answer them backwards. <laughs> no, no worries at all. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, they, they do kind of go hand in hand actually. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was good that you kind of reorganized that because so based on the idea that you want a quarterback at super flex at all times, uh, how many quarterbacks do you feel like, um, it takes oh yeah uh, to, to, to get yeah yeah yes um so i think i think it matters a little bit in the context of the league so uh, you know how many roster spots typically that you're that you have um you know i think if you're playing something in the range of you know 20 20 roster spots i think it's going to be tough to roster more than like five 
Um, but if you're playing something like, you know, 28, 30, man, I think having six, seven, eight, I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, I think generally it's a varying, I think the, the types of, I might differ from people in terms of the types of quarterbacks that I'd rather roster. Um, I would rather roster a guy like, um, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick's probably like a glorified example of this because he's like pretty good. Um, but I would rather have a, a quarterback like him or, um, you know, Ryan Tannehill was an example of this or um, Blaine Gabbert's like a poor man's example of this. But I would rather have a quarterback that has done something in his career um, and particularly one that's like maybe produced a top 12 season at some point, um, but now finds himself in a backup role and is a backup then have you know try and take one of these later day two or day three developmental types because i think you just you look at the hit rates on these guys and you know the production rates give me a guy like you know tyrod taylor for example might be an example um last year over you know uh Kyle Lalletta type or, you know, pick insert day three quarterback here. Um, um, you know, I generally, those are better bets. So I would try and populate my, um, you know, like I had, I had Matt Moore and like a, I had a two quarterback league where I made a point to roster Matt Moore um, because I just thought, Hey, this is a guy who has started. I sort of know generally what I'm getting out of him as a player. And I think he's serviceable. Um, and generally the, when you just the odds of a day three guy really getting home for any sort of success, is pretty unlikely. The Gardner Minshew, Dak Prescott, sort of Kirk Cousins stories are, are pretty rare for them to happen. So I, I want more of the veteran backup guys. Um, typically, I want to leave with, and this is something I'm, I I think I would ask, I wanted to ask you about too before I came on. I was leaving drafts last year with with the hope of getting four starters, and you know, like I had. For example, I had in the league um, Russell Wilson, Matt Stafford, Philip Rivers, and then um, I was carrying like Eli Manning. Um, I sort of wonder what hmm. I wonder if the Eli Manning is a quarterback four is a little bit overkill in the sense of maybe he's a you know, I don't know sort of what you th- what you think on that is like him as a you know, he's probably only going to be like a, a fill in starter, maybe a year bridge type guy. Uh, you know, I, I wonder sort of what your thought is on that type of quarterback. Um, I yeah, I could I could see how I could certainly see how it w- would be perceived uh, as as overkill. I mean, it, I honestly, I mean, the chances of you uh, getting that fourth quarterback into your lineup at any point is is pretty slim. So. Um, you know, it kind of doesn't even matter what their situation is. It's like, you're probably not going to really use those guys. If you do, it's going to be for a bye week here or there. Um, but what I, I, I guess my, my feeling on it though, is, uh, you know, regardless of, of their, whether or not you're going to use that player uh, in your starting lineup, what it does is it gives you flexibility in trades, um, it gives you the ability to trade away quarterbacks, um, you know, without even necessarily getting one back in return. Um, you know, first of all, I, I, as far as the goal of, of keeping a quarterback at Superflex at all times in a dynasty league where, you know, this year they might you might not have 
you know, your, your quarterbacks might have different bye weeks, but next year it could uh, easily be on the same week. So, you know, four quarterbacks kind of, to me, that's like the minimum to guarantee that you've got that super flex filled with a quarterback at all time, even during bye weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything beyond that, you know, the, those are, those are quarterbacks that you don't really even need, which gives, mm-hmm. which, which is a luxury that not many people are going to have. Like it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, y- y- your fifth quarterback, for instance, you can trade that player because you don't actually need that player. Somebody does though. Somebody, if you have five, it means somebody has like two. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they're, they need that quarterback. They have to trade, um, you know, and they don't have the ability to trade you a quarterback. So they've got to trade you, you know, a a much better non-quarterback in order to get that that quarterback from you. It's just, you know, just kind of the scarcity of the position. Once the startup's over, once a rookie draft is over, you look around and there's nothing on waivers. The only way to get a quarterback is by trading. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the only way... So the only way you can get quarterback is, is through a trade. So, I mean, you have to go to the guy who's got five of them and you've you've got to pay whatever his price is. So, you know, even though from a, a a usability standpoint, I guess Eli Manning, you know, wasn't, wasn't going to, to do anything for our roster. And, and, you know, on paper, he's kind of taking up precious real estate. Um, I, I still think just the, the trade value alone is what makes it worth it. Do you think it's the trade value of him? Like I had a hard time like selling the idea of him to anybody. Do you think it's, it's the sort of trickle down effect of, Hey, I can sell, you know, I don't know, insert quarterback three on my roster here, you know, yeah. uh, Philip Rivers or Matthew Stafford or Kirk Cousins or whoever it is. It sort of, it creates the opportunity to sell him as well. Is that sort of, is that sort of what you think? It's not just selling Eli Manning. It's the opportunities it gives you at other points of your roster too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that, Yeah. That's exactly it for me. And, okay. and you know, and, and it's not even necessarily about selling Eli Manning. Um, it's, it's about having enough quarterbacks that you can trade because it, I, I mean, I, I think that, um, well, I, I actually know that you've kind of got into, um, you definitely got into value over replacement and you actually took it a step further and, and you compared the, you know, you put, uh, wins over replacement for fantasy purposes, just ca- the, on the entire universe of, of fantasy football or, of, of NFL players. Um, for fantasy purposes. So, um, but you know, the, the quarterback position, once you've got them, it kind of doesn't matter too much who they are. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that, that your research kind of panned, you know, played this out at least a little bit. Like the, the fact that, you know, um, uh, I, I don't even remember who was a quarterback too for this season, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll, call it Pat Mahomes. He still probably, he was probably, you know, a handful of fantasy points better than, you know, the, the number 16 quarterback, you know, on a weekly basis, it, it, it wasn't a huge difference. So it's not even. Yeah, about, so it was, yeah, by my number, it was Dak Prescott. So he go. was at 1.85. Let me just check. Um, and then I'll take, uh, I'll just take Derek Carr, who was at, 
Um, you know, Derek Carr was at like QB 16. So it was actually a win difference. Really? Like, yeah, it was actually a win difference. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Between him and like quarterback 16, it was like close to two wins between him and, um, Lamar Jackson. But yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, which actually I think is pretty valuable in terms of like the, when you think about players, like looking at the, you know, how much difference does the points make? Like when you're, when you, instead of say, you know, oh, it's 35 points or it's a hundred points instead of you're saying, oh, it's a half a win or it's a win. Like that's a, it's a different conversation in terms of those sorts of value things. It's an interesting, the, the conversion to warp or wins over replacement. It's a, it's a different, it's a, it makes you think about the, those decisions a little bit differently. Oh, for sure. Uh, we're we're going to have to get to that part. In fact, I, and I, I really like, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get to all the salient points, but if I, um, if I do miss any of them, um, you're definitely going to have to, to bring them up for me, but um, yeah, sure. But yeah, I mean, I, maybe I'm going a little too extreme from quarterback to, uh, you know, quarterback one is, is just, you, you throw out Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, quarterback two, Dak Prescott, maybe it's a little too extreme to go all the way to quarterback 16. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, within the, the quarterback one realm, you know, it's, it's, there's not enough of a, of a point per game difference, um, to, to necessarily matter all that much. So basically, uh, kind of what I'm driving at is having Eli Manning on your roster in 2019, obviously now that he's retired, it, it's, you know, he's, he's nothing anymore for us. But, um, at the time, you know, this time a year ago, having Eli Manning on your roster meant that you could afford to trade away Dak Prescott essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it, at market value, that's a, that's a hefty return. I mean, you, you legitimately could have asked for just about any wide receiver to get, you know, in, in return for Dak Prescott straight up. Right. Like if you're not getting a quarterback back in return, um, then, you know, it's, it's gotta be a pretty significant player uh, in return for that quarterback. Um, Just again, just because of the scarcity. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, and, and, with Eli Manning on roster, at least in theory, you still would have had what you need to cover by weeks to keep a quarterback at Superflex at all times. And, you know, it, it kind of makes those those other quarterbacks expendable. So I think that's kind of the value with those, you know, those lower end NFL starters. Um, but I I, I'm doing way too much talking on this considering <laughs> I'm not the one who did the research. So, so I, 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 I want to start there actually. I, I, I think I'm curious on your thoughts on it, on, on, you know, Eli Manning is, is kind of your QB four. Is, is it a waste of, of roster space or is, is there value to you? Well, I, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily a waste of roster space. And I guess maybe the decision is different after they drafted Daniel Jones. Um, but I, I wonder like in a, if you're in a startup draft and you're saying, Hey, you know, listen, I might not, you know, I'm probably, you know, I'm going to trade down and I'm going to acquire some future assets and I'm going to draft a young core. Um, and we were talking about this a little bit before we got on. I wonder if it's counter, I'm, how, I guess, how much do I, care that if i don't start a 
quarterback in my flex during a buy situation like how much does that like what is that you know tenth of a win really matter sort of in the grand scheme of things and if i'm going to compare that to you know listen i think maybe i get eight starts out of him for the rest of his career right um and maybe part of it too was that hey if he's done in the giants maybe he goes and plays someplace else like that was certainly a range of outcomes i mean now we know what the story was so it's i think you know it's a little bit different but um we're sort of looking back on it with what we know the answer to be um but so there was some of that thought that hey maybe he could go to a contender you know maybe the jaguars or something that would be interested in him um so i but i i wonder if like the if you're drafting young and saying hey listen i'm going to build a long-term team you're sort of taking a diminishing asset that's not going to be a long-term player, that's not going to be on your next championship team, and using that roster spot on someone you could have taken in the ninth or tenth round, and it be, uh, you know, some some type of day two running back that you thought had the upside to be a starter or some, you know, some a player just in terms of what the the opportunity cost was in terms of an upside play. I just I don't necessarily think that. Eli was like the bad play, but I wonder if it's a little bit more in the context of, I mean, I get that the cheapest time to ever get quarterbacks is in a startup draft. I just wonder if, if, if that remains the same all the way throughout the position in terms of like, if, if you're sort of taking that long-term build, I know Eli Manning's cheap and that I couldn't really replace him and it's going to cost me a lot to trade for him. But if I'm not going to, if it's going to take me a year to sort of get my feet underneath me, maybe I'm, better off going with three options at the quarterback that I think are long, longer term plays, not necessarily worry about a flex problem in the, in the near term, and then sort of work on the other parts of my roster with another shot at an upside guy. That's all. I just, I think it's probably a case by case type type consideration in terms of those things. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, that there is, there is still, I mean, we, we definitely, we talk a lot about that, kind of with the running backs, you know, the, the, the fact that, and, and we talked about this off air as well, man, you guys, I, I, not to make you listeners feel bad or anything, but you missed some gold um, because <laughs> I hadn't hit record yet. Um, <laughs> that's when it happens, right? Like you, <laughs> it's you always the best. Deep, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what uh, we said. Our, all of our smartest stuff. <laughs> we said all of our funniest stuff. Yeah. And it, it all just kind of gets lost. Um, it's for us to know. And, uh, it, it's just kind of, it's going to die with us. Um, but you know, we were kind of talking about, about the running back position. And this is something that we talk a lot about on this podcast. Um, you know, the, the fact that, uh, kind of the analogy that I used in fact is, uh, is, or the, the anecdote, I suppose is that, there are going to be people who draft both DeAndre Swift and Jerry Judy uh, in their, in their rookie drafts this year. And it is very rare that those two make sense on the same roster. In fact, I mean, you're, you're not going to, they, they just, they don't make sense on the same roster. (laughs) Even, even if, you know, if you're, if you're fairly set at wide receiver, um, and you have the ability to, you know, kind of stash Jerry Judy on, you know, on your taxi squad, um, and you're still going to go contend with DeAndre Swift as one of your top, you know, three or four running backs. Y- even then, I mean, you're kind of you're taking up 
space that could be filled by yet another running back because it takes a million of those guys. It takes an army of running backs to even get through a season, much less, you know, be competitive. And so, you know, using up that space on Jerry Judy just makes absolutely no sense if you're not going to use him. Meanwhile, you know, if you're drafting Jerry Judy, it's because you're you're taking more of a long-term approach. You're you're trying to build up those wide receivers and, you know, uh, you're you know, you're trying to to get a younger roster. You're trying to um you know, you're you're shooting more for like 2022 at that point. That's that's kind of when you're going to get Jerry Judy at his absolute best. Um, that's when he's going to hit kind of his his peak. And by then, DeAndre Swift is going to be on the downside of his career. As crazy it is to say, it, you know, it, it it's that's kind of the reality of the running back position. So I but I think it's kind of the same thing with with quarterbacks in a way. I mean, they, they every position, it gets to that point where, you know, you're looking at this player just kind of dying on your roster um, there, it's not like, you know, they're, they're past their peak. Um, do they really make sense on your roster anymore? I, I, and I think it's fair to ask that with these older quarterbacks as well. I mean, now that Eli Manning's retired, I think we can say the same things about Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger. I think we can start talking that way about those guys. So I, I think it's only fair. Yeah, it's uh, that's, um, and I think like, as I sort of look at these guys, like I'm probably... Uh, I'm looking at like these, like Ben and Rivers and and sort of, I mean Brady and Breeze. I think are are more year to year type guys. But I think with like I think Rivers still has like plenty of functionality in terms of like being a starter. The question is is like contract and those sorts of things. Like where does he fit in? Um, so like I think Eli was like one of the lower range guys in sort of this conversation of you know basically like veteran stopgap back end of the roster quarterback four type of assets. Like I think he's probably like one of the more lower end options, but this year it seems like like rivers is, I think rivers is that player this year represents a higher upside. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because there is, there is a question of, you know, if, you know, when, when's this guy going to retire, it's going to be soon. Um, but there's also the matter of until he retires, is he going to be on the field? And I think that there were some serious doubts about that with Eli Manning. Mm-hmm. If Philip Rivers plays in 2020, regardless of where it's going to be, and it's it's looking like he might. I mean, it, I, I don't think it's going to be in L.A. Um, you know, he he picked up his family and moved them to Florida. I it, it's making me think that you know maybe he's a bridge quarterback for the Dolphins. Um, maybe he, maybe he fits that Tampa Bay Buccaneers system. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so it, but if, if he plays in 2020, he's going to be a starter for most, if not all of the year. Right. Which we didn't think that with Eli Manning. I I think we knew, but I mean, didn't he get benched at one point for like Geno Smith? 
Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah, Which ended yeah. up getting uh, Ben McAdoo fired, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll you to take a long term view of this franchise. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to run the muffler off this car. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but back to so to the to the opposite end of the spectrum with the young quarterbacks though because um you know there there still is that question of of like there there are going to be some teams there are going to be some people who trade up to 1.01 in their rookie draft for instance for Joe Burrow and you know obviously there's there's never anything wrong with getting another quarterback on your roster uh, again, this is this is kind of the only after the startup, your only real chance to do it other than trading an ungodly amount is in the rookie draft. That being said, I mean, uh, cl- like clearly there's no guarantees that Joe Burrow's going to be anything, you know, um, I, I so I'm wondering and I have to start with a quote from from your book here because uh, because I love this. Success at the quarterback position is critical in quarterback premium formats like Superflex and start two QB leagues. Missing at the position can put your can put you wins behind other teams with the need to pay a premium in the trade market or reach in rookie drafts for quarterbacks to make up that difference. Which you know that's that's kind of exactly my you know my my feeling on it is just the you know what you have to do to an to acquire another quarterback if you miss on one um and that's where it feels like you know you throw as many darts as you possibly can because i mean you have just like an nfl team you have to get that position right that's your only chance uh but and again to me that just kind of succinctly sums up just my entire super flex philosophy but how do we get it right at quarterback? Like, have you identified some indicators of, of you know, long-term sustained at least viability, if not success, kind of based on, you know, whatever it is, draft pedigree or, or you know, uh, the how long it takes them to break out, the degree to which they break out, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a, there's a variety of different metrics I have in my book that – um, give you answers to those questions. So I've got like a metric that I think really that, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a specific metric that I have that sort of breaks in quarterbacks that, that really, once they hit that, that goes a long ways. And I sort of lay it out in the book um, in sort of detail about how to go through that. But one thing I think like you, I, I sort of look at quarterbacks and, and I, you know, I'm not sure if you've read my base rate chapter, but the base rates is, um, you know, there's, I say that I have a, I have to rebrand my book because I say that I have, uh, it's a quarter of it is on quarterbacks. A, a ton more of it is on quarterbacks. It's just not named the Superflex chapter. So I, I should, I should rebrand that particular part of my marketing pitch, but um, in the, in the, in my base rates chapter, I just talk about players and, you know, if you just know a couple of things about a player, it can give you a good idea of sort of what their trajectory is. And you just take away their name, take away everything else, and just tell me what round they were, what, um, 
and how much experience they have in the league. Uh, And that's particularly for players that don't have a a starter season. So I define that in in the book as a top 12 season. And so if you just, if you look at that, you take a guy like Sam Darnold, for example, um, and just say, you know, all right, well, what, what is he, you know, he is a top 10 quarterback. So I sort of break the first round into top 10 um, and the rest of the first round, because there's a, pretty big chasm in terms of hit rates between the two of them. I say, all right, like he's been a quarterback for two years. He has not hit yet. He's going into year three Um, for the, for quarterbacks that are top 10 players that have missed the first two years, 44% of them hit for a top 12 season. Okay. If, if they miss in year three, and so you sort of fast forward that year. So now the quarterback is around is a top 10 quarterback that has three years of production under his belt that hasn't hit a that hasn't hit a top 12 season, that number drops to 11%. And so that is a massive, that's a massive difference, right? And so you can look at players as profiles and say, all right, well, maybe I like Darnold more than the market, or it might, maybe I like him a little bit less, but knowing sort of what the priors are on him in terms of his, just the, the comparable uh, draft tier guys, that's a, it's a pretty important thing to look at because it'll tell you sort of where value tiers are and those sorts of things. So for example, Daniel Jones is really close in draft pedigree to Darnold. He's a top 10 guy as well. And we could bang on Daniel Jones and, 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 you know, this thing happened where everyone was banging on him after the giants took him at six, but he's a top 10 quarterback. And maybe you think that he's a little bit lower on the tier, but he's not near that break yet. You know, he still has two more years before he gets to that, that cliff that, that Darnold is basically looking over right now in terms of his career trajectory. And, and so that's, I mean, that's a big thing to look at, you know, try and avoid those types of things. And then, um, you know, so I, I look at that. And then one, one other thing too, is you look at guys that don't hit and I do this by round. So you can look at different, at different rounds and it's actually, it's pretty illuminating. And honestly, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty wild when you think, when you look at some of the stats in terms of like the, the average starts that different rounds get in terms of, in terms of quarterbacks, like in the difference between guys that hit and don't hit. So top 10 guys that, um, sorry, first round quarterbacks that, um, that hit on average start 128 games in the NFL. If they don't hit, they start 39. And so that's a pretty big, I mean, that's a, that's a, fairly big gap if you sort of look specifically at first round guys uh, that are in the top 10 they start 50 point 50 and a quarter games if they don't hit that's the average starts in the nfl for a top 10 quarterback that doesn't hit for the guys that hit it's it's 124 right and so and those numbers will move up a little bit too because you have guys that are still playing that meet those criteria um but I mean, there's a, that's a pretty big gap. And so I think once you start thinking about quarterbacks in terms of like, Hey, he's got 35, 40 starts without a, without that top 12 season on his record, like Mariota was getting towards that. You know what I mean? Like you just, that's, that is where the natural part of they're either going to sink or swim at this point is. And, you know, not that NFL teams are looking, Hey, this guy's a, a fantasy starter or not, but that stuff translates into what's happening on the field, right? If a quarterback's playing well, he's probably going to produce a starter season. Um, if he's not playing well, he's probably not, you know, so that sort of gets into, into those things and you sort of see, you sort of see that. And that's, that's an important thing to think to value, especially in tiers. 
Um, and, and obviously draft pedigree is a big deal. So we, and we can like, you know, day two guys, but I think it's important to keep in mind that basically every step you take down your hit rate, it cuts in half. And so you sort of look at the guys that, um, you know, you, you, you go from, you know, top, you go from the, the top 10 picks, like on average, 64% of them will produce at least one top 24 season, the non top 10 picks, that's 33%. So that drops a full, that drops, that almost cuts in half. And then you look at round two, it's 22%. Right. And so you just keep, you just keep dwindling as you go down and more of these guys miss than hit. And so I think if you, you sort of look at those guys and, and, and see that it's, it's pretty concerning. And then once guys hit, I look at the density of them. I have a different chapter that looks specifically at density. And I say, all right, well, you know, how do quarterbacks hit once they hit and it matters by pedigree to some degree um and there's not a ton of sample size on quarterbacks there's bigger sample sizes other positions so you see weird things like tom brady really move the needle on on you know day three picks but um you know i and i sort of lay it out there's a chart there you can sort of look at it and just see what the prior history on these guys is and that gives you a pretty good a pretty good indication on sort of the the depth of the hit that you should expect from you know, the range of outcomes that you should expect from, from players. Um, and so that's really kind of the process that I go through. And I sort of look at some of the metrics I have in the book. And um, I think looking at the age of which a person first produces their top 12 season will tell you a, it's a good indication of whether they're a one hit wonder or not. You know, the, the guys that are one hit wonders on average produce their first top 24, or f- excuse me, first top 12 season at age 25. And the guys that, that are, get past, you know, produce multiple hits, produce more than a year younger than that. So they're like just about 24 years old. So there's a big difference there in terms of, in terms of looking at their hits. So I think, I think looking at players like that and his profiles, you can draw, it's tough to get it right. And, you know, if, if it was easy to get right, teams would get it right more often. It's just tough to get it right. But looking at those trends, I think you just sort of bet on those things reoccurring and it gives you a good opportunity to be successful in the future. And, and that, so it, it's actually kind of shocking to me that, that these quarterbacks were getting 50 starts uh, without, without, you know, quote unquote hitting that's, that's honestly, that's NFL teams acting suboptimally. Like if, it, you know, if it, if at some point that there there's a there's a trend where, um, it, it, and maybe we started to see it change with the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, I I know that there was some very specific uh, circumstances there, um, but you know, moving on from Josh Rosen after one year in favor of Kyler Murray, yeah, you know, honestly, NFL teams should really be doing that more often. And if at any point they start to do that. I mean, you're you're gonna start to see this, um, you know. It, it's gonna it's gonna become even more clear, um, a lot faster what you've got at quarterback. At, at least that's that's the way I interpret this. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And if you look like that number drops, the crazy part about that fifty stats, that fifty starts stat, is okay. That's you know that's three plus seasons, which if you think about that in the context of which teams are making that decision, that's getting towards the end of a rookie deal. Um, The non top 10 guys in the first round, 31.83. 
So less than two seasons. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that's a pretty big deal in terms of an extra year. And, and I mean, that's a, if you just think about that, like a guy like Haskins, right? Like that's, that's two years. He's got, like he's got one more year to figure this out or he's done. Yeah. Okay. And not, yeah. And not, not necessarily that he's just out that, that, that he's done, but on average, that's where quarterbacks have sort of have hit the line in terms of, and, and in fairness, he's only got seven starts. So it's going to be closer to like the end of year three for, for him, for him to hit that number. But, you know, you just think in the, in this, in the, you know, if, he takes time to develop and you know, it takes a year and it's a slow, you know, it's a, I would say it's an incomplete grade at this point in his career. Okay. Now you're entering year two and you're going to, you're going to chew up. I mean, almost three quarters of that number by year two. I mean, that's when we think about these quarterbacks as long-term plays, but really it's, it's not, it's, they're not, you know I mean? They're, they're, they're actually pretty volatile in terms of the, especially the non top 10 guys. So um, I thought it was interesting. Like the past two years have been interesting examples and in, in drafts and, um, and, and both super flex and start one. You know, I have more, I just have more data on start one. So um, you just, I was looking at that and the super flex rookie data is a little, it's not necessarily the most, um, Oh, how should I say this? Uh, like accurate in terms of the data. I'm not sure. I think there's some outlier numbers there that just don't make a ton of sense. So I haven't like, I haven't done a lot of rookie super flex data because I don't trust the data, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, and the sample size is small. So if you're getting things that are a little skewed, like yeah, it makes me a little nervous, but um, so I didn't put like a lot of charts and stuff on that. But if you just sort of look where um, what the numbers would tell you on where uh, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen went, like Lamar Jackson was going, much earlier than Josh Allen was and Jackson was on the wrong side of the, you know, he was on the non top 10 side and Allen was on the top 10 side. So it was funny because people hated Josh Allen uh, and like Lamar Jackson. I sort of, I look back on that decision. I sort of get it right. Because you have a quarterback that went to a good franchise that went to, um, you know, that had a good rushing production and you know, had these Mike Vick like comps to him. Um, and then, you know, you had a, a quote bad franchise that was taking a quarterback that no one really liked in the top 10 and it looked like a bad pick. So people went Jackson over, over Allen. I sort of, I, I can understand that rationale on the flip side of that. What I didn't understand, and especially looking at this data, I think it's a big mistake was taking, was people taking Haskins over Daniel Jones because you sort of look at the tier, you know, okay, Haskins, maybe if he was even a good, non-top 10 quarterback like that number is still pretty scary in terms of it's only a third of them you know a 33 percent of them truly get home for a starter season and then you say okay well he's going to a bad situation with a bad franchise like and he's not a rushing quarterback he's basically the everything that lamar jackson wasn't and you go and say okay well daniel jones has some core pieces there like it's a relatively stable franchise and you know that you sort of look at those two things and you sort of cop them and you just say you know you have to take the profile the 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 more stable long-term profile and so i it was funny that people were taking haskins over jones pretty regularly it seemed like just a pure um it just seemed like just a pure arbitrage play to take 
Jones over Jones later than Haskins and sort of get the better pedigree. Yeah, absolutely. So I I've got a guy that I want to ask you about. So uh, we're, we're running a little low on time, so I I'm not quite going to hit everything I wanted to get to. Cause I mean, there's, there's, a lot to this. This is one chapter of one book. <laughs> and I came up with a million things out of this that that would be extremely useful to our listeners. So again, you're definitely going to want to check out the Analytics of Dynasty 2020 edition. And while you're at it, you can go get the 29, uh, 2019 edition as well um, and get caught up on all of that. But um, so I, I, I don't want to you know, to give away all the secrets from the book. Um, I, I'd much rather people just go read it, uh, because I can't really do this justice anyways. Um, but so I'm going to, I'm just going to tease this a little bit, (laughs) but I am going to say that, that you've got in this chapter, um, you know, talks a little bit about, uh, quarterbacks who have multiple, uh, top 12 seasons and uh, essentially, you know, uh, if they do it, if they do it twice, if they're a QB one twice, they end up being a QB one. I mean, kind of, kind of a lot of times uh-huh. um, relative to any other position. So uh, a, a guy that I'd like to ask you about, and somebody that you kind of, you brought up earlier as a, as a value um, based on where he's being drafted. I, I just kind of like to get your thoughts on Jared Goff. Uh, mm-hmm. I, we're talking three straight QB one seasons, but all three times it was quarterback 12. Like it easily, we easily could have, we could be talking about him, you know, four years in and he still is yet to hit even once. Um, you know, uh, if, if, if something goes, you know, the other way here or there, like, uh, you know, instead of a touchdown, it, he throws an interception. Um, you know, that they're, they're, it, it, it easily could have went the other way with Jared Goff. Um, so it, it's not like he's been hitting, you know, to a, you know, to, to the highest degree by any means, but he has been hitting. He's kind of consistently been there already. Uh, so yeah, just kind of generally your feelings on Jared Goff, you know, for 2020 and beyond. Yeah, so with Jared Goff, like I, I have a specific stat in the book that talks about basically the dichotomy of players and sort of how to avoid one-hit wonders. And Goff is inside the line, so he's inside the line of being. And I, I it's a, I, I, I keep using this Goff reference. It's he's on the right side of it, like he's on the the long-term side of it, the side that you would bet on. Um, I look at 2019, and I just it screams to me bad variance. Um, and it screams to me that he, I mean, he, he had 626 attempts, which is way up there in terms of passing attempts in the league, um, and had a, you know, ha- had pretty low rate stats. And so when you look at, uh, he had 3.51, uh, a touchdown rate of 3.51, and his uh, yards per attempt was like 7.4. Those stats tend to be pretty fluky year over year in terms of generally speaking, like you'll get a quarterback that's once they start playing more, you'll you'll identify, hey, this guy's a you know, he's a 
um, you know, eight yard per attempt passer, right? Like that's, that's who he is. He's just an efficient passer or this guy's a, you know, like Derek Carr is a pretty low yards per attempt passer. Like that's kind of, we've seen enough now that we know that is pretty much who he is. Um, but the number from sort of year to year, it, it bounces around a little bit. And so that is particularly true with touchdown rating. That is very, very true with touchdown rate. And so in my data, I sort of, broke down the quarterbacks and I, I wanted to take out some of the outliers. So what I did is I sort of, I broke it into guys that had finished in the top 30 and then of the position, just cause I wanted some, I wanted it to be representative of quarterbacks in terms of, um, you know, that are fantasy relevant um, and not just any, I didn't want to include a lot of the outliers. I wanted sort of a, a fantasy relevant type of number. So I got 4.62 as being the average touchdown rate uh, for quarterbacks, um, th through a sample of I think it was 18 years is what it is what it was, and so that number is the the R squared on that or the you know correlation year over year. How much that number explains the next year's number is actually really low, and so and that like if you watch football, like if you watch football, you'll see these things. Like and so, um, AJ Brown's a good example. Like he scored a bunch of touchdowns this year. Like he scored a he reeled off a 60 yarder where his defender fell down and he was running a crossing route and everyone else was on the other side of the field. And it should have been like an eight yard reception for no touchdown. And instead it was like a 62 yard reception for a touchdown. Like those fluky things really can like change the numbers in a, in a one season's a pretty small sample size. So those things happen. Um, and when I see a quarterback that's way on the low side of a touchdown rate, like though, especially when they've, when they've produced, um, to what I think is a is a truly sustainable success um, by my metrics in the book, if he if he has got a low touchdown rate and produces and his sort of in that that quote good tier that's that's a screaming buy, especially when his price drops. So he's going behind like I saw him in the teens going behind like Darnold and Daniel Jones and um, you know like uh, Rogers and some some other guys and I just like especially over the guys that. Um, after the guys that haven't hit yet, like you, that's a screaming buy to me, a screaming buy. Nice. Once again, I get the confirmation bias <laughs> that, I'm, uh, that I'm seeking here. So, yeah, I mean, especially when when you know it, the there's there's context missing, kind of you know, kind of like you alluded to it, it that the offensive line was beat up, the wide receiver core was beat up. Um, the the running game just what ha wasn't nearly as effective as it has been. All of this stuff, it, there's there's a massive bounce back coming for Jared Goff, and uh, I I love that now we've got some numbers to put to that. But um, just kind of in general, that like I said, the, there's so much in this book that just kind of um, you know gives gives me some uh, statistical reinforcement. Um, an analytical reinforcement um, to a lot of the things that uh, um, that that I you know I, I try and talk about here on the podcast, um, but just can't quite get there the way you get there in the book. So uh, I, I told you offline that uh, that to me you're one of the most influential voices in this entire fantasy football community. So much of the information in this book, this is exactly why. And, uh, uh, we're, we're, I, I, like I said, I, I, I could talk to you about this for twice as long as what we just did. So, <laughs> so we're, we're obviously going to have to do this again. Uh, very yeah, soon. anytime. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to bring you back on. Really appreciate your time, Jordan. Um, I, I'm going to let you uh, tell everybody where they can find you, uh, where they can find the book. And uh, how about we bring that new podcast years to the light of day as well? I, I do. I do. I've been doing a good <laughs> job of keeping that thing secret. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you can find the podcast uh, where you get your podcast. Uh, it just analogs of dynasty is the podcast. So, um, and I've been doing some, um, it's funny. I, you know, I, I'm a guy who likes to write, you know, I, I do a lot of writing, I should say. Um, but the process is like super stressful. So I really like the audio, the audio form because you can have a conversation or you can like, for me, uh, I did the, I'm doing this Patreon channel, you know, the analytics dynasty Patreon channel. And it's great because, uh, you know, I, I just me, and so I'll be like, you know, like last night, someone sent me an email and, and a question and I was like diving into it. And I was like, you know, this would be a great episode for, this would just be a great, like, you know, 10, 15 minute podcast. And I just went on, recorded and got it out. So I really like the audio form. Uh, so you can find the Analytics of Dynasty podcast where you get your podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash analytics of Dynasty. Um, and I'm doing something a little different in terms of, um, I don't do rankings per se, but I do something that I call tiers and tiers basically look at players. A lot of what we talked about players in the, um, in the, the categories of what they are, right? So by pedigree and by, you know, how they've broken out and produced. And I sort of, I have a podcast that goes with each of them. And then I sort of um, do the tiers individually. And so you can look at players and sort of look at, you know, successful profiles and and try and target the players that fit that profile. So I do that um, as part of my Patreon program and I have a group me thing. So you can go find all that at uh, patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. Um, and it's funny the 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 audio content, like I just, I didn't know how much I'd put out and it's been like, you know, it's been uh, almost a month and I think I've got like 20 shows out. So it's just, it's just fun. It's just an easy, it's an easy way to get content out. Um, and it's less stressful than the writing process. Um, uh, but, and then you can find the book and, you know, it's sort of the long form deep dive, a lot of, um, and I would say this too, like, if you're not a data person, like I wouldn't be scared of it. Like I, I if like, big time mathematicians sort of talk about these things. It sort of, it scares me too. It's not, it's not what it is. It's in charts and graphs and I explain it all. Um, and then, but I give you the data to sort of empower yourself to make the decisions based on what, what I have found and sort of what I, what's there. Um, and it's, uh, you can find it all at analytics of dynasty.com slash shop. The 2019 edition's on sale for 20 bucks, but the super flex focus and the stuff that a lot of the stuff that we talked about, that's in the 2020 edition. You can get that now $30. And, you know, when I'm, I got a trade today and I opened up the book, I said, what's the data say about this? And I was like, all right, well, I don't really love it. And then it, it but it helps me. And I sort of refer to it. So um, I think it's, I think it can be helpful to you, you know, no matter if you're new, new to dynasty or been playing it for a long time, um, the data in there and some of the strategies, it'll, it'll help you make better decisions and, and, pick pick better profiles that reflect a good strategy so you can find it at analyticsdynasty.com slash shop and if you have any questions or anything feel free to hit me up on twitter um at and at mcnamara dynasty so i can confirm by the way that this is uh easily consumable even if you're not a numbers person i'm, <laughs> I'm kind of not uh i had this uh this weird period where i was on the ff statistics podcast with my good friend addison hayes um, it was supposed to be a, a you know a heavy 
uh, statistics and analytics based podcast. Um, and I just, I, I made no sense on being on that. Po- it was kind of like when Dennis Miller was on M- Monday night football, <laughs> it's like, wait, what <laughs> this guy. Um, so uh, the, it, it's not my thing. The number stuff, it, it's not my thing. Um, that comes through every time, uh, I start podcasting and it, you know, I'm, I'm very narrative driven, um, somewhat video, but, uh, overall, uh, it's, it's, um, just kind of. It, it's like I said, very, very narrative street. Um, but, uh, reading these books has been, um, it, it's been very easy for me to comprehend. Uh, it's been extremely useful to me. I cannot rec- recommend it enough. And, uh, just again, just appreciate the opportunity to, to get to talk with you, uh, Jordan. Finally, I, 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 I there's another thing I told you it's, I'm actually pretty ashamed that, uh, we're, about 160 episodes, something like that, into this podcast. It might even be more than that by now. And I haven't had you on until now. <laughs> that is, that that's that might be uh, the biggest mistake that I've made so far in podcast. Well, I just, I'm glad I was able to bring. <laughs> honestly, now I can feel like I, I have something to you know before i didn't have a great feel on on superflex in in the analytics of dynasty one because i just didn't have the data to look at but now with the data i think there's a lot of decisions that we can make that can optimize our process and uh, i'm just glad to be here don't hold yourself there i wasn't i wouldn't have been the best guest until after this book so um yeah i wouldn't have been as as well versed on this as i think i am now um beforehand so you don't have to feel bad for that and, and and above all else, I'm just glad that we were able to correct that mistake here. And, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll, we're going to do it again very soon. But, again, it's at McNamara Dynasty. Uh, follow him on Twitter if you're not already. And uh, the, the book is Analytics of Dynasty. There's both the 2020 and the 2019 versions. Um, so uh, so make sure to uh, to go grab your copy. They're on sale now as of January 18th, uh, that 2020 edition is available. So make sure to check it out. But with that, we're going to wrap it up for the week. And as we do that, I'm going to ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can also subscribe to the DLF family of podcasts, mega feed, get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF. And once you're subscribed to the Superflex Super Show, if you'd give us a rating and review, not all podcatchers give you that option, but on the ones that do, those ratings and reviews help us to expand our reach, get out to a larger audience, involve more people in the conversation. And from there, we can really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you, the listener. And in the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter at Superflex Show. You can also send them to any one of us individually. And we can retweet them for you, help you to uh, get more votes and comments. And sometimes we even bring them here on the podcast and analyze them for you. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song, The Addiction, that we use as our intro and outro music. And above all else, thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah,